It's so great to see some familiar faces. I told Pastor Terry in the first service, it's just great to come back after all these years and, you know, been a part here with you folks many different times. I believe all the way back to about 2009 was like the first time I ministered here. But to see the same people, you know, after a few years and just being here, it just really blesses my heart to see that it really does. And I want to thank Pastor Terry and his wife, Becky, for Amen. Yeah, put your hands together for your pastor. Amen. Not just friends, they're, they're seriously like family to me, and it's like coming home. Uh, many churches I've preached in, many places I've been in my travels, but uh, there's no place quite like Peckville, specifically with being with Pastor Terry, and I uh, appreciate you. Amen. As many of you know, his son Kyle uh, spent nearly two years with us in Nome as well, and uh, how many remember Tyler when he came up? Good to see you, Pastor Tyler. He came up to Imanic when we lived there, and I would be willing to say that that was probably a life-changing experience, huh? Absolutely. And it's great to see the work that God's doing in Honesdale with Tyler. Praise the Lord. God bless you. And uh, for those that don't know me, have never met me, as Pastor Terry mentioned, we've been in Alaska now full-time for uh, going on 15 years, full-time ministry. We started 18 years ago. Next month is our 18-year wedding anniversary. My wife and I, we have two boys, Aiden and Wyatt. Amen. Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. So if you have a good thing here this morning, give her a smile. Say, you're a good thing. Go ahead, tell her. Amen. And uh, our oldest now, Aiden, he's 14 years old. I, I handed the kid a razor the other day. I'm like, man, where's, the, where's time going, you know? Just blowing on by. And uh, Wyatt's 12, God's blessed us. He really has blessed us with some awesome kids. I told the youth last night, I, I'm blessed when I come out of a Sunday morning and my kids are there, and we get at home. Pastor Terry, and they look at me, and they said, Dad, that was a great service. You know, I have nothing against kids' ministries. I, I think they're so, so important, kids' church. My kids have never, ever wanted to even go to kids' church. They want to be in the house of God, in the presence of God. They've always had a hunger and a desire to be in the presence of the Lord. And I just think that's awesome. A little bit about myself before I preach here this morning. For those that don't know me, I uh, got radically delivered and set free when I was 19 years of age. I was born and raised in Perry County, central Pennsylvania. <clears throat> grew up, uh, you know, supporting the rebel flag. And uh, honestly, there was a time in my life at 16, I was trying to join the KKK. I uh, had hatred in my heart, had murder in my heart, had a lot of hurt in my heart. Took me down a trail of drugs, alcohol, and a lifestyle that many of you understand, you know. But God set me free. He set me free in a tiny little church outside of Mifflintown, Pennsylvania, called Port Royal, a little town called Port Royal, Pennsylvania, a tiny little church, my mother invited me on a Saturday night. I told her on Saturday night, I said to her, well, Mom, that means I got to stay sober tonight if you want me to go to church with you tomorrow. But even in all of my wild, reckless living, you know, I don't know if it's just a Pennsylvania redneck thing, but, you know, you, you take care of Mama, you know what I mean? And Dad wasn't home, and Mom said, I, I'd, like you to, I'd like to go check out this church. Would you go with me? I got to stay sober, you know. Heard the gospel preached. Heard a presentation given. Heard about the blood. Heard about the body of Jesus Christ. And the conviction of God came on me in that service. 
and I resisted. I said, no, we ain't doing this. Homie ain't going there. (laughs) And I left the church that day, hardening my heart against the things of God. But up until that moment, I've never really shared my testimony here, Pastor Terry. Up until that moment, I had three near-death experiences. I should have been dead. One of them, if I shared with you, you wouldn't even probably believe it because I myself don't even believe how I'm still alive today. It was so supernatural that God delivered my life, set me free. And, uh, you know, that entire week after I resisted God and resisted the Holy Spirit, I lived in fear that I was going to die. Like I knew, I knew that if I died, heaven was not my home. I knew that I was going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, so the next Saturday, my mom asked me one more time. And I said to myself, if she asked me to go again, I'll go. And it wasn't, you know, mom, I have to stay sober tonight. It was, yeah, I'll go with you, mom. I'll go. And I knew on that Saturday night that if another opportunity was given to get get right with God, that I was going to make that decision. And I sat in that back row that day. Nobody laid hands on me. Nobody prayed for me. How many understand God looks upon the heart? And I turned my heart to Jesus Christ when the opportunity was given. And I said, I said a vow to God that day. I said, Lord, if you take it all away, because I was in a condition where I could no longer help myself. How many understand? Sin will take you further than you ever want to go. I was addicted. I couldn't break the addictions. I could in no way help myself any longer. But then the grace of God stepped in that hour. As I lifted my hand and I said to the Lord Jesus, I said, if you take it all away, I will serve you the rest of my life. I'm telling you. You know, people make fun. uh, Come to Jesus moment. Just like that, the power of sin, because sin is a power. The power of sin and the power of death snapped off of my life instantly. I literally felt it lift from my life. And I've never been the same, and we're into over 20 years now, and I've never turned back on that vow to God. And I told him I'd serve him the rest of my life, and God would then call me to Alaska, call my family to Alaska. I fought with God, said, Lord, I, you know, surely there's somebody else. God said, there is nobody else. You laugh. God told me, there is nobody else. There's so many villages right now without the gospel, without churches, without pastors, when the Lord said to me, there is no one else, well, you, I mean, how do you argue with that? You know how many times people said to me, you know, what are you doing out there just ministering to one or two people? Because God spoke to me. God gave me a vision. And God gave me the vision of reaching the one and equipping the 99. How many understand that Jesus himself spoke of a shepherd who was willing to leave the 99 in search of the one? God loves everybody. God loves this world. So he called us to Western Alaska. We've been there ever since. And for the sake of time, I can't share everything God's doing. But during the pandemic, we actually started a new church. Amazing. <laughs> Someone say, thank the Lord. And we're getting ready to put new roofs, siding, windows on that building. Just loaded a container with about $40,000 worth of materials out of Seattle. And the amazing thing, we only ever took one offering for it two years ago when we started the work, Believing God at a camp meeting, and the rest just like came in over a two-year period of time. We never took another offering. God just supernaturally provided, and it's paid in full. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 5 this morning. For those that, 
you're not familiar with this ministry, I'll just be up front with you. I had a pastor early in the ministry when I first started. He sat me down afterwards. He, said, I re-, he was an older gentleman. He said, I remember when I was a young flame like you. He said, just wait. When you get to be my age, that flame will die out a little. I got to be honest with you. After 20 years of serving the Lord, it just gets hotter and hotter. (laughs) So look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. I said that in Nome about three weeks ago, and my wife yells, or unbuckle. So look at your neighbor and say, or unbuckle. I want to give you the word of the Lord this morning. Joshua chapter 5. If you'll grab a hold of this word, I tell you, God will bring you into the promised land. God will bring you into his blessings. God will bring you into an overflow. Amen. Joshua chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said, somebody say, the Lord said. Said to Joshua, the leader, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way. After they had come out of Egypt, for all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. Some will say 40 years. Till all the people who were men of war who had come out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised the sons who he raised up in their place. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was, and they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in the places in their camps until they were healed. Verse 9, then. Someone say, then. I love when the Bible says then, because something's coming. You know, it's, it, it leads up to a then moment. Then. Say it again. Say then. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt, or The Hebrew is the shame of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal. Say that with me. Say Gilgal. Now, the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho, and they ate the produce of the land after the Passover of the unleavened bread and the parched grain. On the very same day, say that with me. Say same day. The manna ceased. On the day that they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had the manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan 
that year. Father, I pray and I thank you for your holy word this morning. And I thank you for every life that's in the sound of my voice that's walked through these doors today. I thank you that not one person here is by chance, God. And I pray, Lord, that as your word goes forward this morning, that the seed of your word would fall on good soil today. And you would have your will and you would have your way in this house from the beginning to the end in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Just a little background here. You have an entire generation. And if you're taking notes this morning, I titled this message, A Gilgal Generation. A Gilgal Generation. Up until this point, you have 40 years of God's people wandering in the wilderness. You have 40 years of unbelief. You have 40 years of rebellion. You have 40 years of the inability to follow the commandments of God. You have an entire generation that missed out on the promised land and the promised blessings of God. The Bible says that this new generation at Gilgal, they entered into the promised land and they began to partake and eat of the fruit of the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. How many here this morning you'd say, I want to be a partaker of the promises of God? I know I do. You'd have to be a fool to say, I don't want to be a partaker of the promises of God. Because the promises of God, how many know he's a good God? How many know goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life? Hallelujah. How many know 2 Chronicles 5 says, For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. So you'd have to be crazy not to want the blessings and partake of the promises of God. And the Bible gives us a, a story here of a generation that entered into receiving those promises. Numbers 14, verse 28 through 30 shows us that this generation complained against Moses, complained against God. They said with their mouth, if only we had died in the wilderness, if only we had died in Egypt, God comes back and he says, well, just as you have spoken in my hearing, you will receive exactly what you said. How many understand there's power of life and death within the tongue? So God says you can't enter in. It doesn't mean that God didn't have the promised land. It doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful to his word. How many understand Jeremiah teaches us that God is faithful to watch over his word to perform it? It doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful to give them the promises. The promised land was there the entire time. It hadn't gone anywhere. But Israel's rebellion and their hearts turning away in compromise and unbelief caused them to miss out on the promises and the blessings of God. But now something's happening here in Joshua 5. You have this new generation. God parts the Jordan waters. The priesthood takes the God box, the Ark of the Covenant, into the river, a flooded river, and the waters part supernaturally, and they now enter into the territory. They now enter into the land of promised blessing, a land flowing with milk and honey. There they are. They just now get into the promised land. And before God says, go and strike down Jericho, before God goes and says, take down Ai, before God says, before you get into the land and take any victories, there's something we've got to do here. Before you go any further, before you even partake of the fruit of the land, the Lord speaks to Joshua. Someone say, the Lord said. The Lord said, the Lord gave a command to Joshua. And he said, you need to gather all the males at Gilgal. You need to make for yourself a flint knife, a stone knife. 
and you need to circumcise all of the males. Now, just so you understand the magnitude of this, historically, there's about 600, uh, according to the census, about 601,000 males that needed to be circumcised. <laughs> That's a hard day's work. <laughs> How many know there's a little overtime involved there? We might be getting into double time and triple time. 601,000. I believe Beaver Stadium holds, you know, like 100 to 110,000 people. So when you look, watch a Penn State game, just multiply that times six. God said it had to be done. What is the significance of this, Pastor? In Genesis 17, God made covenant with Abraham. And the Word of God says in Genesis 17:10, this is my Covenant. This is what God said to Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you and me and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall circumcise the flesh of his foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. One thing I love about the covenant of God, he said, this is my covenant. Don't miss this. God calls us to enter in to his covenant. He's the one who has designed the covenant. How many understand God doesn't force anyone to come into his covenant? God didn't force you to come through the doors today, did he? God didn't force you to love him. Because if he forced you to love him, it wouldn't be real love. How many husbands know you, you never made your wife love you? If you tried to make your wife love you, well, it doesn't end well, probably. But love is a mutual agreement. It's two parties coming into agreement together. One thing I, I love about the covenant of God, he comes to Abraham, he says, this is my covenant with you. This is why in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. That God demonstrated his own love towards us that when Austin Jones was trying to sign up for the KKK and had murder in his heart, God said, I'm going to make a covenant and just invite him to come on into that covenant. Are you catching this? So God invited Abraham to come into this covenant, and he said this would be the sign of the covenant. It would be the circumcision of the foreskin of your flesh. And it would be a sign and an outward sign of the covenant between you and me. How many are glad you're here in the God's house today? How many are glad you came to church? Amen? God doesn't force us into his covenant. He invites us into his covenant. Gilgal is very significant here. Because God made covenant with Israel. God made covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the covenant would be circumcision. But now you have a generation in the wilderness who've compromised. Someone say compromise. They've compromised the word of the Lord. They've failed to obey God's commands to the level now, to the degree where an entire generation for 40 years has been born in the wilderness. It is absolutely amazing to me. I said it last night to the youth. I said, you know, I was preaching a a different message, but somewhat similar because it's the word of the Lord for the hour right now. God is calling his church out of compromise. God is calling his people 
into a new dimension of his love. Are you hearing me, somebody? To serve him with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. I said to the young people last night, I said, I mean, how difficult is it? It's really not hard. Just do the stinking right thing, amen? <laughs> it isn't hard. But for 40 years, it blows me away. It's amazing to me. God gives them manna. God gives them quail. God splits rocks, causes water to flow out of a rock in Exodus 17. God heals them. God heals bitter waters. When vipers came up and struck them, God said, lift up a pole, and all who look upon the pole, and a type of Christ, all who would look, come on, how many know the Son of Man was lifted up? Just as that bronze serpent was lifted up, all who look upon Jesus gets healed. Amen? A type and a shadow of what we I mean, it's amazing to me. Out of all of the supernatural things that God did to even get them out of Egypt and in the wilderness, and it's one miracle after another, but yet they're so backslidden in their hearts, they're so compromised, they can't even follow through with just one simple command that God gave Abraham for generations to come. They compromised their walk with God, and now here's a generation who's uncircumcised. God gets this new generation into the land. The Bible tells us all of the men of war had died. Every last one of them fell in the wilderness of a previous generation, and now God was giving, and here it is, at Gilgal, God was giving opportunity. Don't miss this. He was creating an opportunity for a new generation to walk in a way that was different than the previous generation. He was actually not even holding the sins of their fathers against them. How many understand every person in the sound of my voice has a responsibility over your own life? I know that's a big word, isn't it, today? We really don't like that word, responsibility. One day, every person here will stand before a holy God and give an account for what they've done on this earth. Every person here, including myself, will stand before a holy God, will stand alone, the books will be opened, and in that day, <laughs> it'll all be revealed. See, we have a responsibility right now to enter into this covenant. God wasn't holding the sins of the fathers against them. What God did at Gilgal, he was saying this. He's saying, I'm giving a new generation an opportunity. An opportunity to what? To partake of the supernatural blessings and promises of God that a former generation missed out on. Gilgal, how many know every name, every city has a meaning, you know? Gilgal means, literally, it means circle or wheel. Just as a wheel is a circle. Circle or wheel. Gilgal's about one mile from Jericho. And here at Gilgal, God says, gather at Gilgal, this new generation. Make for yourself a flint knife and bring them into circumcision before they go any further. Before, and the Bible teaches us that on that day, they begin to partake of the Passover, the unleavened bread, and they what? Partook of the produce of the land following. They begin to enter into the promises of God. Look at your neighbor and say, it really isn't hard. 
God was giving an opportunity. Gilgal means circle. One thing I've discovered about God over the years in ministry, I've understood some things about the Lord. One thing that God does is he never removes his word, amen? He's faithful to watch over his word to perform it. He never, when God has a plan, when God has a purpose, even though one generation may miss it, he still hasn't removed his plan and he still hasn't removed his purpose. I'll give you an example. Just going to Nome, Alaska, when we took the church in Nome, it was down to about six people. The entire building was in disarray, broken windows. The first night we slept in the building, it was about 25 below outside, ambient temperature. That's not wind chill. And the windows are broken, and my wife and I are freezing in the bed. And God began to show me the vision that he had for the church, and it wasn't my vision. God began to speak to me, and he said, I've had a vision for this house long before you were ever even saved, son. But where there's been dysfunction and where there's been disorder and where there's even been sin at the camp years gone by, it has taken the house out of the vision. But one thing I know about God, God brings everything back full circle. God brings them to Gilgal. He says, I haven't removed my plan and I haven't removed my vision to bring my people into supernatural blessing and promises. And I'm bringing you to Gilgal, a place called Circle, a place called Wheel, because I'm giving this generation an opportunity to receive what a former generation missed. I'm bringing it full circle. It's no secret today, and if you have any spiritual pulse of any kind in the church in America, you can see that in this last hour, you know, we've heard it a thousand times, all that can be shaken can be shaken. God has allowed some things to be shaken. But I tell you, if I heard anything from the Lord this last year, it was this. He said, I'm raising up a new generation who will not compromise. And this is where we took the youth last night. When Pastor Kyle asked me what I preached at the youth, you know, I could have said, well, you know, there's only, you know, 30 people there. Listen, I preached to two people like I preached to 2,000, number one. Number two, I said, absolutely. Why? Because I've already had the word, in my Lord, word of the Lord in my spirit all year long that God's raising up a new generation who won't walk in compromise, who won't miss the promises of God, who won't miss the supernatural we can Listen, we can pray, hear me, we can pray and we can cry out to God all day and all night for a great awakening in our nation. And let me tell you something, our nation needs a great awakening. There are things in our nation right now that only God can fix, only God can heal. It's far beyond the wisdom and intellect of man. We need a supernatural move of God to awaken the hearts of men again in this nation. And it will happen when the people of God come under the circumcision of God and enter into his covenant and allow the flesh to get cut off and allow the compromise to get cut off and allow the compromise of even former generations to get cut off and say, not me. I've See, friend, I've set myself on fire 
20 years ago. I told you the fire burns brighter and brighter every year. It doesn't mean I haven't had some hard times in my life. It doesn't mean I haven't had some difficulties in my life. But I still come back to my covenant. I still come back to my God. And I don't care what some pimp in the pulpit or some puppet behind the pulpit preaches. I'm going to be a man set on fire with the Holy Ghost and power. Look at your neighbors say, I'm glad you came today. This thing's no game for me. I don't know about you. I tell the church all the time, and no, I'm not here to build an organization. You want to know how counseling sessions go for me and Noam? I had one two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. 26-year-old man, suicidal. His father said, would you meet with my son? I said, sure, I'll meet with him. I get him in the office. Never met the guy a day in my life. Here's how counseling goes with me. Because I've understood some things. There's spiritual powers at work here. Spiritual hosts of wickedness at work here. And it takes spiritual power to break spiritual power. It takes the power of Jesus Christ to step into a life, to set people free. So counseling sessions for me are like this. Listen, I don't know what your dad told you, but I'm not behavioral health. I don't have a 12-step program to help you. I said, maybe there's a place for behavioral health. I'm not here to judge that. I said, but that's not me. I said, the fact is the power of sin is producing death in your life. And you need to turn your life to Jesus Christ. And a few more things said, but that's pretty much how I start counseling sessions. I'm not behavioral health. You need Jesus. You need to come into the covenant of God. And after about two hours, he willingly, joyfully accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. See, we need the people of God to rise up in power again, man unashamed of the gospel. You know what life and ministry in Nome's like for me? This last January, I, I need to do better at locking my door. I heard somebody downstairs in my house, and I find a woman in the entry of our home, driven by demons, like this. She says, I need help. I need help. I don't even, I've never met her before, never seen her before. I need help. These voices, she said, and her, her words were this, behavioral health, the hospital, they can't help me. I need help. In about less than five minutes, she gave her life to Jesus. Hear me. I said, where are your voices now? They're gone. Hear me. We were in the middle of prayer and fasting that week, as many churches do in the first of the year. I said, you know what? You're here just in time. Because the noon hour, we're going to the church to pray. So I took her by the hand, my wife and I, and we walked her over to the church, and she was the only person that showed up other than my family for prayer and fasting. She sat in that back row, and tears rolled down her face, and she just shook in the presence of God. 
And then at the end of our prayer time, I said, come here. God has something else for you. It's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. And she came out of there Pentecostal. Can you say amen? Hey! Let me tell you something, friend. I've lived in light and I've lived in darkness. How do I know demons are real? Because I had them. I myself heard voices. I myself was so twisted up. That's why I've come to understand people need to come into the covenant of God. And what God is calling his church to in this hour is a circumcision. This is a circumcision moment in the body of Christ. And if you will just receive the invitation to come into covenant with God, when I say covenant, I'm talking real covenant, where your heart has been truly circumcised. Because the Bible teaches us that of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 2, listen to what the Bible says. Chapter 2, verse 28. For he, is not, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is the circumcision, which is the outward flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that, the Bible says, of the heart. Someone say the heart. The new covenant of Jesus Christ is a circumcision of the heart. One of the greatest problems I've seen over the years is we invite people into salvation because people recognize they have sin and only God can help them with their sin. But I heard a great man of God, Sergio Scatagallini, say this. He said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. See, when I talk of real covenant, I'm speaking of a life that has been crucified with Christ, who says, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. When I speak of real covenant, Jesus himself spoke of what the real covenant is. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, You must love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to what Jesus said. He said, On these two commandments hang the entire law, or the old covenant, and prophets. Jesus said, I didn't come, away to, come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. I think we have to be very careful in the body of Christ, especially in America, that we don't make God out to be our transactional God. And, I, and listen, I'm a faith preacher. Don't, don't misread what I'm saying we have to be very careful that we're not living our lives in a way where we're just trying to get something from God. See, real covenant with God in the new covenant is surrender, circumcision of heart. I belong to Jesus. Do you see even in the Old Testament, do you see even at Gilgal, as God was giving another generation an opportunity to get it right, that the moment they came under circumcision, see, that's the moment the transaction came and they began to partake of the blessings of God. 
Are you catching this for a moment? How many know you? We know faith is the pipeline, right, that pulls things out of heaven. How many know if your heart's circumcised and you really love the Lord with all your heart and you're spending time with him? Yeah, come on. He's the author, the perfecter of your faith. He'll build your faith. Come on. <laughs> it all starts in the heart. Gilgal was a place of opportunity. Somebody say opportunity. opportunity. It was also a place of sincerity. I want to get real for a moment. How many can understand, just go in that story for a moment, 601,000 men brought before Joshua, brought before Joshua to disrobe. The most private part of their body is now fully exposed. I'm going to say that's a, that's a moment of truth right there. That's a moment of sincerity. That's a moment. Of, that's, that's when the rubber meets the road right there. Circumcision was a very personal thing for every individual that came into it that day. And in that day, God said in verse 9, he said, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. What I find amazing is that God is saying that when you come to me in your shame, when you come to me fully exposed, when you hide nothing any longer, I will actually remove your shame. I will actually remove your reproach. <laughs> Amen. Once again, this is about as real as it gets. This is a moment of real, and here's where the real covenant of God comes down to, friend. It's a moment of real transparency with God. It's a moment of vulnerability. It's a moment of sincerity. I said in the first service, the psalmist wrote, who can ascend to the holy hill of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to an idol. It goes on to say, nor hear me, has sworn deceitfully. That means make a half-hearted vow to God. See, I told you, I began this meeting, I told you 20-something years ago, when I made a vow to God, I said, Lord, if you take it all away, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I wasn't swearing deceitfully. I was coming into covenant with God. And I thank the Lord for every promise and every blessing he's brought me into, brought my family into because he's faithful to watch over his word to perform it. He's just looking for a generation who will actually come into real covenant with him. A covenant of uncompromise. A covenant that says, Lord, I'm, hear me, I'm fully exposed before you. Just as those men had to come and disrobe before Joshua. Can I tell you that that's all God desires right now from us? He, got, he desires for us to come to him open. He desires for us to come to him naked, fully exposed. I mean, who are we kidding? We cannot hide anything from God. How many want to hear another ministry story in Alaska? I was preaching one time in a village called Alakanak. Not a lucky duck, Alakanak. There was a teenager we were praying had a healing line going. And some of you may not be familiar with the gifts of the Spirit, but they're real. God still speaks to people today. 
despite weirdness that's out there, God still speaks to holy men and women of God. And there's this teenager in the line, and I said, the Lord shows me you've got a problem smoking dope. And his parents were standing behind him. He looks over his shoulder, looks at me, and goes, no, I don't, man. And out of my spirit, I said, don't you lie to the Holy Ghost. When I said that, a demon manifested, and he let out a shrill. And he cringed, and in the moment that demon manifested, it came right out of his body, and he was laid out in the power of God and set free. Someone say Amen. can't hide from the Holy Ghost. In creation, when God created Adam and he created Eve, the Bible says he created them naked and unashamed. All God ever desired with you and with me and with humanity was an open, honest, naked relationship. But sin jacked it up. And what does sin do? What does compromise do? It caused them to hide in the bushes. It caused them to hide in their shame. And God still came with grace, man. God still made a sacrifice. God still made a way. I'm going to tell you right now, I have no problem accessing the glory, the presence, the power, the anointing, the promises, the blessings. I have no problem accessing it, and I'll tell you why. Because my heart has been circumcised. I'm fully exposed before Jesus Christ. And the same will be true for you and for every life that comes into real covenant with God that says, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my everything. I want to tell you something, friend. I deal with a lot of trauma in Western Alaska. I deal with a lot of sexual abuse issues. I deal with a lot of domestic violence, alcohol, the things and the effects of those. It is constant. And what I have found the most is in trauma, people carry things in their heart that God so much wants to heal. And when I speak of full exposure, it's not a matter of just giving the compromise and the sin. It's giving him the hurt. It's giving him the pain. For surely he has carried our griefs and our sorrows. And by his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. But we want to tuck things away. Well, God, you can have this, but like he doesn't see it. Well, you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't know what you've been through, but I can tell you of one who has been through something, and his name's Jesus. And his blood was shed, and his body was broken to make covenant with you, and he invites you into this covenant. A covenant of salvation. A covenant of healing, a covenant of deliverance and life and walking and partaking in the promises of God. Pastor, I don't know how to get there. It'll cost you your whole heart. Well, I don't really want to go there. Well, then good luck getting the promises. Still glad you came to church today. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him. The Bible says here it is with a true heart. 
in full assurance of faith. Faith in Christ. I couldn't help myself. I put my faith in Christ. He helped me. But the Bible teaches us to access the holiest, to access his glory, to access his glorious presence. I'm going to say this to you. God can do so much more for you than you could ever imagine just by giving him your everything. That's why I said we have to be careful that, you know, and there's great Bible principles. Don't misread what I'm saying. Bible principles are absolutely real, just like the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. But we must be so careful that we're not living our Christian lives just simply out of principles that work for me and making God this transactional figure who just works for me. The truth is, when you give him your heart, he just gladly works for you because you come into his covenant. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Lastly and very quickly, by the way, having boldness to enter the holiest, boldness actually translates in the Greek parousia. It means, you ready for this? Naked. Without concealment is what it translates. The writer of Hebrews says, for you to access the holiest place, you've got to take it off. Boldly. Amen? And aren't you thankful that the blood of Jesus removes our shame and takes us in? Jesus said, John 4, 24, that the hour would come when those who would worship him would worship him in spirit and in truth. It's more than just lifting your hands and maybe even feeling the presence of God in a corporate anointing. Come on, you can feel the presence of God in a corporate anointing and your heart not be right with God. Psalm 51.6 says that you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden parts, you make me know wisdom. Lastly, Gilgal is a place of identity. Place of identity. We're going to finish here. On that day at Gilgal, when an entire generation was brought forward, God was dealing with compromise. God was setting the record straight with this generation of what it would take to walk in the promises and in the blessings. But what was left behind on the physical body was a removal of skin, and it left a mark. And that generation was marked by heaven that day. Some will say identity. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all the ites that were in the land that Israel was called to go and possess, possess the land. Those at Jericho, those at Ai, you know what they didn't have? They didn't have the mark. The mark of circumcision on the physical body was a mark that said, we belong to Yahweh. We belong to the one true God. We belong to the God of Abraham. The God who revealed himself in Genesis 17:1 as El Shaddai. The one who would prosper us and bless us. Our abundant God. 
We belong to him. See, that mark on their body, it was a place of identity of whom they belong to. You still with me this morning? They said, we belong to Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We belong to Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. It sent a message to those in the land. They were a different breed of people. How many peculiar people do I have here today? That mark on their body said that we serve the God above all gods. And we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who will surely tear down walls of Jericho. Can you say amen? amen. Who will surely eventually, after we get things right, will give us victory at Ai. Can you say amen? amen? That mark was a source of identity, a place of identity. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, and this will be my last verse this morning. You are a chosen generation. God's looking for right now is a Gilgal generation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The Bible says his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. That word chosen in the Greek is ekletos, and it means plucked out, called out choice. I heard Kyle say choice servant, Pastor Kyle, choice, plucked out called out, set apart. Let me tell you what America needs the most right now. It needs the church to stand up as a called out, set apart, holy people of God. Hear me. Who have not come into covenant with the inhabitants of the land. See, that was another command of God in Exodus. Do not make covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Well, I don't have any golden calves set up in my home, Pastor. Let me tell you where you make covenant. It's covenant in your heart. Come on. Idolatry is in the heart. Are you with me? You know, there's only one sin in the Bible. There's actually three different sins. Sins, transgressions, and iniquities. Iniquities being the worst of sins. Idolatry is always categorized in the sin of iniquity. It's when the heart's lifted up to something else. That's the sin of iniquity. How I many you've had like maybe a moment of weakness? You sin, right? You're like, you knew you shouldn't have did it, but you did it, and you knew you should. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done it. That's transgressions. But iniquity is a category of sin. The Bible says he who regards iniquity in Psalms, in their heart, God doesn't hear their prayers. We can talk about the promises. We can talk about the blessings. We can talk about healing. We can talk about the living. We can talk about all those things. But until, see, until the heart gets right, you can't partake. Until there's a circumcision, you can't receive. Are you still with me this morning? 
See, my identity and our identity in Christ is not, and I had no idea we would have a, someone running for Senate here today, but it's in my notes, so I'll say it. My identity is not in a political party line. My identity is not Republican or Democrat or independent. My identity is chosen, called out, separate, different. Citizen of heaven, heir of God, co-heir with Jesus Christ, one who's seated in heavenly places. My identity is I've been called out from the world separate. Be ye separate, says the Lord. Are you hearing me, somebody? See, a holy nation, holy means that, see, you are already declared holy in Christ, but holy means set apart one, consecrated. That's my identity in Jesus Christ. And it's time that the church in America rises up with power, authority, walking in the promises like never before, advancing the kingdom of God as we go. Here it is. And living a life that's set apart. In the privacy of your home, when nobody's looking, your heart has been set apart as holy. In the public place where everybody's looking, you better believe I'm different, baby. I've been touched. I've been marked by heaven. Man, I wish I could share more. And you better believe the devil knows who belongs to the Lord. Let's look at the seven sons of Sceva. I ain't got time for that. We cast you out in the name of Jesus and the one that Paul preaches. Seven of them. Left wounded, naked, and beat up by demon-possessed. I was walking in Wasilla, Alaska one time. I'll tell you something. You carry a mark in the spiritual realm. I was walking in a grocery store and I think it was our beginning year, one of the years of our fasting. I, was, I remember I was on a fast and I just wanted to grab something to drink. And there was this lady at the customer service counter. Didn't even see me, but just walking behind her about from me to the front row, right? Her head just spins like on a swivel. And starts growling at me. And starts hissing at me like a snake. <laughs> devil knows who belongs to the Lord. Some of you are like, oh, come on. I deal with this stuff all the time. Kyle, you've been there. When a woman was on all four of her knees, called to a house like a stinking wild animal because nobody could help her. But I tell you right now, when you're set apart as holy, and you've come under the circumcision of the hand of God in your heart, and you live a life fully exposed where nothing's hidden, and you say, God, have your way in me. God will anoint you. God will use you to set captives free. And you will walk marked by heaven in the identity of Jesus Christ. Stand up on your feet. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of yourself listening and tag us on social media at Peckville Assembly of God. 
We'll see you next time. And remember, we love you, God loves you, and may God's richest blessing be yours.